Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. When I was a kid, I was deathly afraid of roller coasters, like sobbing in line afraid. And this was a big problem in my family because pretty much everyone in my family and all their friends loved roller coasters. And because they loved roller coasters so much, every year we would always finish up summer with a trip to King's Dominion. We'd drive down early in the morning to show up before the park opened. We would stay until they kicked us out until literally they're like shooing you through the turnstiles to leave. My dad and my brother loved roller coasters so much that they would actually plan out their trip around the park so that they could ride as many rides as possible. In fact, they loved roller coasters so much that if they got done with a ride and there wasn't anyone else in line in their seats, they wouldn't get up. They would just strap themselves back in and ride again. And so as a kid, as a young kid, I would follow them around, contemplate riding, and then chicken out. And so one summer, I was probably in second or third grade, and I told my family that I was brave enough to ride the roller coasters. And so when we got to the park, we made a beeline straight to one of the new rides at the time called Anaconda. And at the time, Anaconda was on the cutting edge. That just shows like how old some of us are because that ride is not cool anymore. But Anaconda was on the cutting edge during that time. It was the first looping roller coaster to feature an underwater tunnel and the first at King's Dominion that had more than one loop, so more than one inversion. And so we got in line and I was ready. I was psyching myself up. I was telling myself, I can do it. I'm ready to do this. And about halfway through, I began to get nervous. This was my typical back out point. And so the tears are starting to well up in me. And I turned to walk out of the line, but I ran into my dad who was behind me and he wouldn't budge. And so for the next 10 minutes, we slowly crowd our way to the coaster. And it felt like some of the longest moments of my life. I even contemplated jumping into the nasty water that surrounds the coaster. If you guys have been there, you know it's like super disgusting. But I thought, this is my only way out, so I think I'm going to do it. And so I thought, like, do I jump in this water, probably get infection, maybe die? Or do I ride the roller coaster, it falls apart, and I die? And so because of both those options were death, I decided to stick it out. And so we got through the line, and I remember getting through the line and grabbing my seat. And the sound of the chains clinking as we made our way 125 feet in the air. The view of the park is amazing. And then we dropped straight down into the water, into a loop, and then another. Then you cruise around a little bit and you do two corkscrews before finally stopping. And I remember going through the ride and feeling every emotion possible. There was fear and excitement. There was joy and anxiety. I felt nauseated. I felt lightheaded. I felt relieved that I made it through it alive. When we got off the coaster, we walked to see the pictures from the ride. And in my picture, my eyes are closed and I was so tense. It looked like I was trying not to poop my pants on this ride. And then my dad looked at my brother and looked at me and said, hey, let's do that again. As an adult, I am no longer afraid of roller coasters, but I've realized that I just don't like them. I don't like the way they make my head feel. I don't like the way they make my body feel. I don't like the ups and downs. I don't like the twists and turns. I don't like the starts and stops. And today, we're closing out our series called Musicology. And I said at the beginning of this series that my goal was that everyone that comes to the collective would take one or two steps forward in their faith to start off 2019. One or two steps forward to having a better 2019 than a 2018. 
And so in week one, we talked about finding rhythm in our lives and specifically having a healthier rhythm so that we could have more space to pursue God, to have more time for our faith. Week two, we talked about harmony and how everyone is a part of the church body and it plays an important role, even though we feel like we might be insignificant. And last week, we talked about rest because Jesus promises that if we come to him, he will give us rest for our souls. And today we're talking about dynamics. Dynamics refer to the volume or sound of a note. Dynamics are characterized by constant change or constant activity. A song is dynamic when it has low, quiet, slow parts and then builds to heavy, dramatic, emotional parts. Our worship music is dynamic. It goes up and down. Used effectively, dynamics help musicians communicate a particular emotional state or feeling. It creates highs and lows, creates joy and sadness, peace and anxiety, all in the same song, just like the ups and downs, twists and turns, starts and stops of a roller coaster. Those are dynamics. A few years ago, I was working for a church in Annapolis, and I was in a preaching team meeting where we were trying to decide our future sermon ideas. And one of the series topics was this idea of characteristics of God. And so people were throwing out words to describe God when someone shouted, dynamic. And the whole team started to nod and get really excited about preaching a sermon about how God is a dynamic God. But then my wife spoke up. and She said, that isn't true. God isn't dynamic. Now it reminded me of the princess bride, right? You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. But the look on their faces was a mixture of shock and wondering if she was being blasphemous. But then she explained that dynamic meant characterized by constant Change, and that isn't God. God is unchanging. He is constant. He is dependable. He is always there. He is always faithful and always true. God isn't dynamic. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Malachi 3, 6 says, I am the Lord, and I do not change. James 1, 17 says, Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. God is not dynamic, we are. When I look back over the last one, five, 10, 20 years of my life, I have been up and down. I have been inconsistent. I've been all over the place. There have been good moments and bad moments. I've had everything in between. There have been moments that I'm not proud of and moments that I am proud of. My life has felt like a roller coaster of joy and pain, excitement and fear, accomplishments and disappointments, peace and anxiety. But the one thing that's remained the same is God. God in his love, God in his faithfulness, God in his mercy. And because of that, in a life that's full of change, in a life that is dynamic, we can still have hope because God stays true and stays the same. Lamentations 3, we're going to read today, and it talks about this topic. So Lamentations 3, uh, starting in verse 21, it says this, Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. Now, I don't do this often, but I actually did a Google image search for this verse just to see what would pop up. And I'm sorry if you think this is being mean, but I Googled it. And sure enough, this verse shows up layered over a bunch of sunrise pictures 
over a bunch of sunflower pictures, over a bunch of beach pictures. There's even like pictures of like a silhouette of a guy on a mountaintop shouting to maybe the mountain to God, I don't know. But when you look up this verse, like that's the number one image that pops up. And like I said, I'm not trying to be mean. What I'm trying to do is shoot down cutesy, unrealistic, fake enforced expressions of Christianity. Because those images are not what we find when we look at the Bible, and that's not what we find in reality. And one thing that I want to do is point us to the context of the scripture that we're actually reading, to look at the hearts and minds of the people who wrote these books in the Bible. Because when we just poach a verse and slap it on a t-shirt or slap it on an inspirational image, we often miss what it meant in the first place. And these verses and lamentations are really striking for a lot of reasons, but the biggest reason is that the author had every reason to be hopeless. The first clue of what's going on in his life is that it's found in a book called Lamentations. Do you know what lament means? It's a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. This whole book is a collection of those types of expressions. It's a book written by this guy named Jeremiah as he walked through the rubble of Jerusalem, his home city, after it had been taken captive by Babylon. He's literally walking, stepping over dead bodies of his friends and neighbors, and he's crying out to God. That's what this book is all about. He's weeping, and with every step that he takes, he witnesses the destruction of the most important things in his life, which makes it all the more amazing that in the middle of that stroll through his hometown, he stops and he says, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. Now, isn't that an astounding thing to say? Especially learning what he's going through, that it isn't sunsets on a beach, that it isn't mountaintop moments. It's literally pain. It's literally destruction. It's literally losing everything in his life. And yet he says he still has hope. And that's how Jeremiah prefaces everything that he says. He says, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. He's being intentional about where he is directing his thoughts, even in his worst moments. He's turning his heart to hope in God, despite the fact that his current circumstances were difficult. He is centering his thoughts on what he knows to be true about God, because in God, he finds hope. Jeremiah continues with the phrase, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. And that phrase is actually one that's seen throughout the Bible. It's in a highly concentrated place in Psalm 136, when the phrase is repeated over and over and over again. It's actually repeated 26 times. Here are just a few verses from Psalm 136. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who alone does mighty miracles. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who made the heavens so skillfully. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who placed the earth among the waters. His faithful love endures forever. And Psalm 136 will go on and on and on talking about how his love never ends. You see, when scripture talks about God's faithful love, there's a lot to it. His faithful love refers to his kindness and his goodness, his mercy, all of those things put together. And I want you to remember who's saying this. It's a guy who watched his nation be destroyed, his people be butchered and enslaved. And somehow he refers to God's love, to God's goodness, to God's faithfulness. Now, does anyone else have trouble understanding how this man could say that? How he can feel God's love in such a dark moment. But not only that, look at what else he says. He says, his mercies never cease. His mercies begin afresh each morning. And so let's just ask it. How can a dude who woke up in rubble that morning say that? 
How can he have that hope? How can he say those things out loud when he's looking at the destruction of his entire world? There's a couple of things that we need to know. The first is that this is not all that Jeremiah said. In fact, the entire book of Lamentations is this guy weeping and wailing and complaining to God about the circumstances he has found himself in. It's not like the guy walked around thinking that everything was roses. He recognized the pain. He recognized the brokenness. He had a vast understanding of how difficult life was, and he told God about it. A few years ago, I was sitting down with my mentor, and we were talking about how to care for lost and broken people. And specifically, we were talking about people who had been through or were going through unimaginable pain. And I asked him to share with me what advice he gives to those people or those couples as he has those conversations. And of all the things he told me that day, there's always been one piece of advice that stuck out. He told me that it was okay to let people know that they can tell God how they feel. That's okay to give permission to people that I'm caring for to show emotions, right? To yell. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be confused. God wants to know how you feel. He doesn't expect you to go through life pretending like everything is sunshine and rainbows. You don't need to approach God the same way you approach family at holidays, right? Like you don't need to sit at the dinner table and you're having Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner and you pretend like everything's totally fine and totally perfect because you don't want to upset grandma. It doesn't work that way. God already knows how you feel and you don't have to hide it. And that's exactly how Jeremiah approaches God. He's in pain and so he tells God about it. But these verses are a moment of clarity in the midst of his fog and brokenness. And the second thing we need to know is this, and this is a really hard truth, but it doesn't make it any less true. Jeremiah can say that God's mercies are new every morning because he woke up that morning. And what I mean is this, God doesn't owe us anything except punishment. The tension is that we live in a culture of entitlement. And from the very beginning of our lives, we can easily recognize what we believe to be injustice. So we yell, that's not fair. Right? We say it all the time, that's not fair. Uh, the other day, uh, Elise, my daughter, is three and a half, woke up from her nap. And I was finishing an episode of Shark Tank on Hulu. It's my favorite show in the world. There's like two minutes left. The deal was already sold. It, it was over. I just needed her to wait two minutes. And as she came downstairs, before she even hit the bottom step, she asked me if she could finish the movie she was watching before she went to bed. I politely told her that she'd have to wait until it was done, but she immediately went into meltdown mode. She shouted, that's not fair, that's not fair. And I looked at her and I said, of course that's fair. I'm in charge and I'm watching what I want to watch. <laughs> and of course she kept crying and she kept yelling because she felt like there was an injustice. And the thing is, we do that, right? We do that with God. But here's the truth as it pertains to our relationship with God. Do you know the last thing that we want? Fair. We don't want fair. We want mercy. We want compassion and forgiveness, even though we don't deserve it. See, the Bible is clear that the just thing or the fair thing for God to do is punish us for our sins and disobedience, for the way that we walk out of alignment with what God teaches. Yet the fact that God is patient with people like me and people like you, people like us, and he allows us to live and move and breathe is evidence of his mercy on us. We are not receiving what we deserve. And Jeremiah is saying, listen, the fact that we woke up this morning should cause us to exclaim with joy because his mercies are new. And I know for me personally, I lose sight of that. I lose sight of that because I feel like I'm entitled to every day that I have. But the truth is, I'm not entitled to another breath. If I finish this sermon today, it is only because of the grace and mercy of God. And the good news is that his mercies never cease. The next phrase that Jeremiah says is great is his faithfulness. 
In the Old Testament, the word faithful was often translated as truth or truthfulness. So you can say great is his truth or truthfulness. And God always lives up to this. He is always true. He is always faithful. He is unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we can't say that about anyone in our lives, let alone ourselves. You know, aren't we well aware of how we fail to live up to our own standards? Aren't we well aware of how often we do something that's out of our character? And the good news is God doesn't do anything out of character. If God does it, it's perfectly consistent with who he is. He does not violate his own character. He will not violate what he said and what he's promised. And even though our faith wavers, even though we have ups and downs and moments where we are far from God, moments where we've turned our back on God, even though our faith wavers, his does not. 2 Timothy 2.13 says this, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful for he cannot deny who he is. God cannot be unfaithful. He cannot deny that that is who he is, which is really important to people like me and you because that means while our faith is dynamic, God's is not. And that means we can trust that if he gives us the mercy to wake up tomorrow like he gave us the mercy to wake up today, we will wake up to the same God tomorrow that we woke up to today. Because God's not like us. He won't be in a bad mood. He won't be cranky. He won't have a split personality. He's not high maintenance. God is who he is. He is steady. He is unchanging. God never fails us. He never fails to show up. He is consistent and he is dependable. Faithfulness also carries with it this idea of fidelity. And we live in a time of infidelity where faithfulness is at a premium. And a lot of us have never experienced what it's like to have someone be faithful to us. And this makes it hard for us to believe that if there is a God, why would he be faithful to us? That how would he remain true? The answer to that is that God isn't people. He's the everlasting God. He is faithful to himself and he is faithful to people like you and me. He's faithful to sinners. Even though God has every right to punish us for his sins, that isn't his ultimate desire. God's ultimate desire is to display his glory. And the way he does that most clearly is by extending grace to sinful people. God most desires to show himself as great and glorious by expressing grace to undeserving people like me and you. I've heard it said this way, the apex of God's glory is his grace. The top, the peak, the most important point is the grace that he can and will extend to all people. And that's really a good thing because God could have chosen any of his characteristics. He could have chosen his judgment or his justice to be the apex of his glory, but he didn't. God chose the apex of his glory to be the way that he gives people like you and me grace, the way he is faithful and does not give up on people that are far from him. I know a lot of you struggle to believe that God will be faithful to you, that God won't leave you when he finds out what you've done or what your past was like or what your current life looks like or the sin in your life. And here's the deal. And if you hear anything today, I need you to hear this. There is nothing you have done and there's nothing you can do that's going to shock Jesus. Nothing. Please don't think so much of yourself to think that you can sin in a brand new way. It's all been done before. In fact, read the Bible. It's in there. To be honest with you, through 10 years of ministry, I've met with a lot of people who are really arrogant about their sin. They think they're sinning on a whole new level that the world has never seen before. And when you think that way, do you know what that leads to? Self-loathing, which is just veiled selfishness because everything ends up being all about you and how bad you are. So let me say it this way. It'd be really hard for you to shock me much less Jesus. One of the things I struggle with the most when it comes to being a pastor is actually telling other people that I'm a pastor. 
I definitely don't tend to lead with that fact when I'm meeting people for the first time because this is what happens and it happens all the time. I'll be at Starbucks or coming in and out of our office or at a social event and eventually someone will ask, so what do you do for a living? And so when they ask, I say, I'm a pastor of a church called Collective and immediately the conversation turns to them apologizing for what they said over the previous five minutes. <laughs> right, they think that my tender ears have never heard words like that before or spoken words like that before. Listen, as a pastor, I've walked with people in their worst moments the things that I've seen and heard, the things I've witnessed people do to each other, I've been around some really raw and really messed up stuff. I am not easy to shock, but I can guarantee you this, you cannot shock Jesus. It doesn't matter how messed up you are, God will still be faithful to you. He is faithful to sinners. He is faithful to lost and broken people. He is faithful to the struggling. He's faithful to those who fail and who fall short. And because of this, he won't give up on you. In fact, Paul writes about this in Philippians 1.6. He says, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. In other words, when Jesus forgives your sins, he isn't finished with you. He's just getting started. Now it's been said by many that God loves you just the way you are, but he also loves you enough to not let you live that way. And the reason why is because he's faithful. He started something in you. He started a work in you and he will complete it. And that's another stark contrast to people like you and me. We start things all the time and we don't finish them. Whether that's a project or a weight loss program or a marriage or a degree, we leave things undone all the time. But what he started in you, he will be faithful to carry on until that work is finished in you. Another translation for the word finished is perfection. He will perfect you. What he has in mind for you, he will achieve in you. And he starts that process now and it's not complete until Jesus comes back. Another way to say this is that he refines us. This carries with it the idea of being put into a fire or put to the test. It's where God works out our rough edges or our character flaws or our sinfulness. And the reality is that's a painful thing. It's a painful thing when you look in the mirror and you see your rough edges and it's really easy to be discouraged by that. An old preacher named A.W. Tozer said it this way. He said, you may have been serving God quite a while, but instead of getting better, you feel you are getting worse. Do you know what is happening to you? you're getting to know yourself better. There was a time when you didn't know who you were and you thought you were fine. But then by the good grace of God, he showed you yourself and it was shocking and in some ways disappointing. But don't be discouraged because he's faithful and he will continue his work until he's finally finished. God's also faithful to the struggling. What's really cool is that we get to see that demonstrated every single week in this church. Hasn't he been de demonstrating that week after week in this place? And again, the fact that God would use us, use this group of people, broken, struggling misfits, to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish in the world should make us stand in awe of how great of a God we worship and just how faithful he is. God has been so faithful to this church and he's just getting started. His work isn't done yet. And he's using this church to be love and grace of God to lost and broken people. The thing is, if this church hasn't scared him away, I don't think there's anything that we do that could. And all of this, everything that Jeremiah talks about, all of this points to the fact that God has been faithful to you, whether you believe in him or not. I bet if you were honest, really honest, I bet if you were to open up a little bit and reflect on your past, there are moments in your past when your life felt like an emotional or physical or mental or spiritual roller coaster, and you have no idea how you got through it because you know it wasn't based off of your strength or your dependability or your consistency or your faithfulness, faithfulness and yet somehow you're sitting here today. And so you have to really wonder, how is that? 
I think it's because a faithful God has been reaching out to you all along the way. He's revealing a little bit more about himself to you every single day. Think back about your life, the hardest moments, the worst moments, the best moments, and everything in between. How do you explain the fact that you're sitting here today? Is it your own hard work, willpower, determination, and winning spirit that got you here? And that may be what some of you think, and if that's where you land, that's your deal, but that's not mine. As I look back at my own life, two kids, 10 years of marriage, lost jobs, divorced parents, rejection from peers, death of loved ones, sickness of friends and family. When I look back at all the things that I've been through and how I'm standing here today, it doesn't make any sense. Because I know there are moments when my life has been too much to handle, when it's been too consistent, when the, the valleys are so deep, there's pain and there's fear. And the only reason why I'm here is because of God and his faithfulness. And while there are troubles and problems that are too heavy for me to carry alone, there is no circumstance, there is no situation that's too heavy for God. Jeremiah continues and he says this. He says, the Lord is my inheritance. Inheritance is a word that's seen throughout scripture in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It means something that is set aside for you, something provided for you, something that will sustain you. It isn't something you can earn. You don't even have to work for it. It's freely given by a father who loves you. The inheritance that he's talking about is the opportunity to be with him forever in the kingdom of heaven. It's this gift of grace that he offers. And he says that all you have to do is accept it to be yours. You cannot earn it. There's nothing you can do. You can't spend your lifetime working in order to take this inheritance. It's freely given. So God is offering that to you today. And the question is, what are you going to do? If you're not a follower of Jesus, this means accepting that gift, that inheritance, and making the decision to put your faith in Jesus and get baptized. One of the things we love to celebrate the most here is that step. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is a reminder that there is nothing you can do to earn it. It doesn't matter how much money you give. It doesn't matter how much you show up here on a Sunday morning. It doesn't matter how much time you give. There's nothing you can do to earn that inheritance. It's freely given and it's always theirs and it's yours for the taking. Jeremiah then finishes up the passage the same way he started it. He started it by talking about hope. And he finishes by saying all these things, and he says, therefore, I will hope in him. He says, I will hope in God. I'll hope in God because of his love, because of his mercy, because of his faithfulness, because of the inheritance that he offers because of grace. And the best part about those truths, about everything he says, is that those are unchanging. Even though your life is full of ups and downs, even though your past is full of brokenness and pain, even though your life might look and feel a lot like Jeremiah's because everything you know and love has been destroyed, a marriage, a career, a family, it all looks like rubble. Even though that might be what your life feels like, God is faithful to you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. There's nothing you can do to push him away or force him out. His love never ends. And I hope that Jeremiah speaks of can be yours if you let it if you let God lead in your life, if you let God be constant, if you let God be consistent, if you let God play that part in your world that is constantly changing. God offers new mercies. He offers faithfulness and he offers love. And he says, it's always there. There's nothing that you can do to lose it or push it away or get rid of it. No matter how far you go, it's there. That is the consistent thing in your life in a life that's very up and down and a life that is changing and dynamic. Let's pray. God, thank you um, that you're dependable. God, that you're faithful, that there's nothing that we can do uh, that scares you off. 
Because, um, God, we're, we're messed up. We're broken. We sin. God, we're outcasts. We're misfits. And yet every single day, every single moment of our life, you're always there. You're always reaching out to us. You're always loving us. You're always giving us mercy, things that we don't deserve. God, you're giving us grace. God, thank you in this world that is up and down, and just to be honest, the world that's just exhausting, God, that we can look to you for consistency. God, that we know you're always there. doesn't matter if we're up or down. doesn't matter if we're happy or sad. You're always, always, always there. God, thank you that you love us in that way, even though we don't deserve it. God, I pray this week that we feel that. God, that as we leave here and as we head out into our jobs or whatever we have going on this week, God, that we know that no matter how painful things can be, you're always there and that you'll never leave us. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.